0: First, we hear from Father Jim's good friend, Jesuit priest, Father Michael Sparrow, who opens this podcast by proclaiming the gospel reading. Then, Father Jim's illuminating gospel teaching follows.
1: A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. The sisters of Lazarus sent word to Jesus, saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, this illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Martha said, I know he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord, I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God the one who is coming into the world. Jesus became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, By now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd here, I have said this, that they may believe that you have sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what he had done began to believe in him. The Gospel. Of the Lord,
2: This gospel is truly powerful if we can understand its great meaning for us. By now, I hope you can have enough insight to know how we could interpret these kinds of readings, especially when we're reading through the Gospel of John. You might remember me saying earlier, the last two weeks, that John's miracles are called signs because they signify so much more than what meets the eye. They signify something that's happening on a much deeper level than the literal interpretation we might give it. Obviously, on one level, we could understand that the resuscitation of Lazarus is a premonition of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So we can have a hint of that, even as we move next week into the passion death of Christ. Also on another level, a more personal level, we can understand that we are Lazarus. As you would hopefully know by now, each of the gospel characters represent a part of us, if not all of us, at one time or another. We are Lazarus, whom the Lord is calling forth into a greater life, that he promises us here and now. I hope we will begin to understand that and, and even more experience that this evening in an ongoing way. Allow me to break this gospel open by suggesting I'll look at it in three major scenes or segments. These scenes are different episodes of this gospel as it unfolds. So the first scene you might recall, although we only did a portion of the gospel, is when Jesus is first informed about Lazarus' sickness. Now, the first line, the opening line of the gospel points out that this man, Lazarus, I want to just stop at that frame and explain. The name Lazarus, it comes from the Hebrew name Eleazar, that means God to the rescue, isn't that? Wonderful to realize. God to the rescue. Can you hear the William overture? This is how God will come. We are Lazarus, huh? You think toys are us? Lazarus is us. And he's from where? Bethany. The name Bethany means house of affliction. Where's the house of affliction? Any of our homes at any time. A house of affliction is our life situation at any given time during trials and troubles and difficulties. We all have these moments. Certainly, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary were visited with death and the harshness of the end of life. So, what we hear in this opening scene also is that Lazarus' sisters, Martha and Mary, Send word immediately to Jesus, the one you love is sick. I love how they describe their brother. They don't say the one we love, the one you love. It's almost as if John hopes that we would begin to see ourselves in that beloved disciple role, because we're all the one that Jesus loves. And Jesus wants to hear and know all of our sickness, all of our situations, all of our needs. So they send this word to Jesus. How important this is, if I could just stop at that frame for a moment, to say our role as a brother and sister to each other in this Christian family we call the church is to pray for each other, is to send word to the Lord when we are in need. Now, interestingly, Jesus is informed, but remember his response if you read the gospel ahead of time? Jesus says, okay, thank you very much, and stays where he's at for two more days. Why does Jesus delay in going to Lazarus? Why? I, I, I don't understand it. If you can answer that question, maybe you could understand why does God allow certain tragedies to come into our lives? Why does God not check with my calendar and work it in with his timetable? Why is God's ways not our ways? This is the mystery of anyone who faces pain. I love the bestseller written, When Bad Things Happen to Good People by Rabbi Kushner some years ago about his young son, Aaron, who suffered from prajoria, And he struggled with this same question, when bad things happen to good people. And he grappled with his faith, even though he was a respected and reputable rabbi. And what he came to terms with what he's reflections on Job is that this is a perennial question of suffering. There is no answer. There is only a response that we can make of faith. The putting our faith in the mystery of it all. And this is what Jesus will ask of those good sisters, Martha and Mary. He says to his disciples then, he says, let us go back to Judea. Well, you have to understand some geography here. Remember, Galilee is up north, all right? And they're heading down to Bethany, which is in Judea. Now, this is a two-day journey. So it isn't like it's just get in the car and let's go around the block. This takes two more days. And the disciples tried to stop Jesus. They said, Wait, if you go back to Jerusalem, remember, they were trying to stone you and kill you. And Jesus' response is, If you walk in the day, you do not stumble, for you walk in the light of the world. Of course, it's very loaded with symbolism. You might understand it, that Jesus last week in the gospel said, He is the light of the world. And then he adds that if you walk at night, you will stumble and fall. But what's the night? It's the threat of evil. And what Jesus is saying is you cannot let the forces of darkness deter you or discourage you. How many times do we let fear determine a decision? How many times do we let something that we feel might hurt somebody or do something for the wrong reasons and not reach out to somebody in need? We're thinking, I don't know if they're really appreciated. I don't know this. I don't know how it'll be received. I'm, Hey, get over it. Ask yourself, if it's the loving thing to do, then I agree with Nike. Just do it. We can't let fear rule our lives or restrict our actions. And he lets love lead him to Bethany. It's really something to think about. And he explains on the way to this journey, what he's doing. He says, guys, Lazarus is asleep. Of course, you know, they're always on different levels. They say, well, wait a minute. Jesus, stop. If he's asleep, let him sleep. And she said, oh, you guys don't get it, do you? He's dead. What is he saying there? He and he's saying we must go awaken him. Well, what I like to say is Jesus is giving us all a wake up call. For many of us are spiritually dead. And I really believe the Lord allows certain crisis and even calamity to come into our life in order to wake us up. I have seen so many conversions, what we call deathbed conversions or sick or disease, or those things that bring us on our knees, or put us on our back and make us look up and see life differently. The Lord allows that, to awaken in us something that will come alive in us in terms of eternal life. This is what we have to pray for. Disciples are always a little slow learners, but aren't we, you know? Because it isn't just learning things intellectually, it's, it's integrating them and living them practically. Thomas says to the other disciples, Okay, let's go with Jesus. Let's go and die with him. Well, you have to hear the irony here. In fact, none of the disciples except John went with him to die with him in his own passion and death. And yet he's saying what we all should say. Okay, this is what we should do. You know, Be willing to lay down our life. And he's right, but how far do we go the distance? So, okay, they're on that road. At least they got the idea now. And they're probably walking a few steps back. I always imagine Jesus quite a few paces ahead of the disciples who are trying to catch up with him. And then the next scene, he's in Bethany and he on the outskirts of the town, and he meets Martha, who heard he has arrived, and she runs out to meet him. And she informs him that Lazarus died, and he's been in the tomb four days Now, this is interesting. I learned as I did some research that at the time, first-century Palestine, there was a popular Jewish belief that when one died, the soul of that person remained in the vicinity of his body for three days. And then on the fourth day, they really believed he was dead and gone for sure. And, And maybe this came because in ancient times, they didn't have what we have today in the dying process. They may have had people come back to life. I don't know. In any case, the point is is that here Lazarus was really dead and gone now number of days. And so Martha comes to meet him and says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would never have died. Now, I'll be frank with you. I think that's the cleaned up version. I think they left out a few expletives. Now, I imagine her saying like, Jesus Christ, where have you been? (laughs) I send word to you. Why did you wait? He's dead and gone out. Thanks a lot, Lord. I thought we were friends. You know that kind of prayer. Haven't you had that? I pray that way sometimes. I wish I actually prayed that way more often. Because it's a prayer of the gut. I think so many times... We pray from our head, you know, giving God our thoughts, our intentions. Sometimes we're moved to our heart. where We feel those things that reside in us, deep desires of the heart, we say. But other times we just pray from the gut. And that's where I think the most powerful and beautiful prayer comes, from the guts of our struggle, our pain, our question of God. And the Lord honors that kind of honesty, that candor, that which we speak to Christ. And that's where I see Martha praying, Lord, if you had been here, I'd see her pointing her finger at Jesus and getting away with it. But it's the way to pray. And the amazing thing is she does so still respectfully because she said, but I know, Lord, even now, whatever you ask of God, God will listen to you. And Jesus says, Martha, your brother will rise again. And I imagine her thinking, oh, here's the priest talking these pious, I know. And she says, I know he's going to rise again at the end of time. And Jesus says, "Now he's inviting her to deeper faith. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. What does that mean? He's not just speaking in the hereafter. He's speaking the here and now. And as much as Martha believes in Jesus as her best friend and one that she puts her all her trust in, still she hasn't learned uh, the power of the resurrection affects every little death in our life. Do we believe it? Are we there yet? Because the Lord certainly wants to invite that. Think of what is our tragedy. Think of what is our cross. Think of what we struggle with and what gets us down. Now, can we believe that God will bring good from that, and that God will raise up something in us from that. So Martha says, yes, Lord, I've come to believe you are the Christ. You know, Christ is Greek for Messiah. You're the one, Lord. I believe in you. Remarkable faith. Remarkable. When Jesus says, I am, that's a loaded theological expression. John is thinking back to the Old Testament days when God first introduced himself to his people as Yahweh. Yahweh, Hebrew name meaning I am who am. That there's mystery about that. I mean, it doesn't explain anything, but God is. God is meaning he's in the past and present and the future. He always is and always is with us. Martha puts her faith in that. I am. And that's really remarkable. It isn't that anything's clear to Martha. All that's clear to her is that she's putting her faith in Jesus. And that's all we need to understand in our life when we experience death and difficulty and tragedy. And then she goes and gets her sister, Mary. And Mary is sitting at home. And as soon as she hears Jesus is come, she runs out to him and falls at his feet. Now this is interesting because if we read Luke's gospel. It seems like both Luke and John agree on this personality profile of these two sisters who are so different, maybe like night and day. And Martha is the aggressive, active, assertive woman. And you've got to love her, you know, whether she's doing the dishes or housework or cooking or coming out and telling Jesus what he needs to do and meeting him right when he comes into town. Or Mary, on the other hand, who's at home, the contemplative, the reflective one. Whether she's, you know, Jesus came to home and she's sitting at his feet. And now, again, we see her falling to Jesus' feet. And what does it mean to be at one's feet? You look at Jesus as the master, huh? You're the disciple and she's taking her cue from him. That's something that we would come with our problems and pain and put them at the feet of Jesus. It's a very humble place to be because then we ask him to control the situation, not us. That's hard to be at the feet of Jesus. And sometimes suffering can only put us there at the foot of Jesus, the foot of the cross. And when Jesus sees Mary praying now again from her gut, why? Because she's weeping. Brothers and sisters, of all the prayers we could pray, I honestly think the prayer of tears is one that says volumes. And Saint Ignatius the Loyola talked about the gift of tears. So we come to pray. That's all sometimes we can do is bring our feelings to the Lord. No words are necessary and certainly were necessary for Jesus and Mary at that time. And what is Jesus' response? Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. You know, that is the shortest sentence in the entire Bible and it speaks volumes, doesn't it? speaks volumes about Jesus' own humanity, that he feels every feeling we have felt. It also speaks of his empathy. You know empathy, to feel with a person, have deep compassion. You understand the word, compathe, or to feel with. And that's what heals. John Bradshaw, a great psychologist, says, Grieving is the healing feeling. Those of us who have lost a loved one, like Martha and Mary, you know that grieving feeling. And you know that only over time, after many tears and many sleepless nights, we come to a place of peace. But only after years sometimes of struggle and surrender. And that's what Jesus keeps calling us to. That ultimate surrender. That's what he leads Martha and Mary to And so then Jesus is moved himself by this deepest emotion. And others see and recognize it as a sign of his love. He said, look how he loved them, how he loves Martha and Mary, how he loves Lazarus. Can we ever see Jesus praying for us and crying with us? I was praying with a woman who's been through a terrible time of sexual abuse in her life. And she knows this has left a scar on her mind and memory, and it's hurt her throughout her life. And I led her in a prayer that invited Jesus through her own imagination to see him coming to her. And when Jesus came to her, she saw him weep for this tragedy that occurred to her. Weep, and it was so healing for her. To image Jesus is really caring because it felt like Jesus abandoned her. You know, that's what Martha and Mary must have felt at first. Because even Mary repeats the same line as Martha. Lord, where have you been? If you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. You know that feeling of feeling deserted by God. It's the worst feeling of all. It's really the dark night of the soul. And we're all going to have to go through that dark valley. If we want to go into the eternal light. And in that darkness, all we can hold on is the hope. Of the eternal light the Lord can give us. And this is what, anyway, this woman felt in this prayer that Jesus led her through this grieving feeling and coming to some acceptance and then seeing yourself in a whole new light, how Jesus saw her. Isn't it something? Now that's how we're healed to see through his eyes. So Jesus now comes before the tomb. And notice now how Jesus prays. This is so revealing. How does Jesus pray? He begins his prayer as he shares out loud with all the people gathered before that cave. He lifts his eyes to heaven and says, Father, I thank you for hearing my prayer, for I know that you always hear me. And when Christ prays with this kind of faith, you know great things happen because whoever puts their faith in the Lord is never ultimately disappointed. And with that faith, Jesus is so connected to his Father, he felt the surge of the Spirit that made him cry out in a loud voice. A loud voice means a voice of tremendous authority. Lazarus, come out! And out walk Lazarus. Had I been there, I would have died. I mean, they were so stunned that Jesus had to say, will somebody please unwrap the poor guy? Because, you know, they wrapped him up in the shroud when they laid him in the tomb. Let me end this reflection by saying, again, Lazarus is us, and we, in many ways, hold back on the Lord. And he has so much more life to give us, so much more love to share with us, so much more truth to teach us, so much more spirit to fill us. Will we come out and pray for that and seek that and search for that and grow into that? I'm asking us in the name of Jesus, Lazarus, come out. Come out and let that which we bury deep inside of us, maybe that sin or that memory or that hurt, Come out, bring it out, and let it open up the door. Could heal it and help us out. Come out into the beautiful person that we could be if only we trust the God-given talents and potential we all have and use such a small portion and percentage of. Let it come out and really let the Lord use us and bless us. Look how he used Lazarus. When he rose from the dead, Lazarus was such a powerful witness. That his enemies said, we've got to get rid of that man, for the whole world will soon be following him.
1: Amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Father Jim's Gospel Teaching. We hope you have been inspired and will subscribe to this weekly podcast and share it with your family and friends. The mission of Heart to Heart is to proclaim the good news of God's Son Jesus to the entire world. For more inspirational teachings by Father Jim and Father Michael, visit our website, www.htoh.us. May God bless your heart and the hearts of all your loved ones.